So I think this is a moment that teaches us something profound, that by taking that more global, more cosmic point of view, we see ourselves much more as a part of a whole than just particles of dust in space. This is Unplugged, a series of conversations with creative minds from the design industry and beyond, hosted by h Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of h and Unplugged. We have the great pleasure today of being here with Mr. Daniel Libeskin in connection with us uh, from New York. Hello, Mr. Libeskin. Daniel, how are you doing? Oh, how are you? Excellent. Happy to be with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Look, Daniel, how are you going through this strange period of time in uh, New York? All of us, pretty much, we are out of the lockdown, which, wa- which was your like, first experience, your first thoughts after the lockdown when you stepped out again in, uh, in, uh, in New York? Well, first of all, we are still in the lockdown in, in Lower Manhattan. Actually, in Manhattan and in New York, we are in the lockdown. But I was uh, able to go uh, with my daughter and son-in-law and my little granddaughter upstate to their house in upstate New York. And wow, seeing trees, being able to smell flowers, seeing birds, the world <laughs> is wonderful. Despite the setbacks, it's a, we live in a fantastic world. And my first experience was it's so good to be alive. Whatever the adversities of humanity, uh, the world is a beautiful world. Did it give you the chance to see some details when you stepped out, as you said, the bird uh, singing, the smell of the flower, some details that you never noticed before? Well, I think uh, the, the great detail is not a great detail. It's actually a great fact that the world, once again, appears to be sacred. You know, we get so used to, you know, everything is available. We just step out, we step in, we just do what we do. But suddenly we realize that it's a miracle that we are here in the first place. And it's a miracle that there is a world. And that's something that I think is a longing of every human being who has been affected by this pandemic, that they suddenly realize I should not take for granted this experience. This is something uh, unique, and and I underestimated what it means to be alive. Um, look, um, there's a thing that I want to ask you because I heard uh, you saying in some interviews uh, about something that I do agree very much, which is we do not grow as human beings by smooth changes but we come across sometimes experiences that all of a sudden they make us change and they make us grow as human beings. Do you think that this is one of those moments? I I think there's no doubt that this is a really one of the great moments in the history of human beings. Uh, It's it's a sudden transformation of everything we have dealt with. It is a moment of Death and rebirth. It's a moment of a completely new sense of what the future is and what the past has been. So yes, it's that one of those sudden, sudden moments of transformation that no one can predict that happen because reality itself is always unexpected. And that's actually what we are living through. 
the, the moment of the unexpected happening for us, with us, in us. Those moments are for, for a good change or could they take us like backwards and change the humanity in a wrong way, taking the human being on the wrong side? It's a great question, but that depends on us. That depends on all the human beings today in the world, how they will respond. How will they take what has happened? Will they take it into a negative path, into a backward path, or will they take it to a great future? I am a belie- I'm an optimist. I'm a believer that this is a moment of an amazing positive change. I think there is, it's inevitable that this will be a positive moment. I don't believe that this will take us backwards. I think this will take us forwards. However many difficulties, we will learn something and we will become better for it. And, and there is no doubt in my mind that this is a positive change. Uh, thinking about positivity and putting that into an architectural perspective, I think that a moment of peace where there is no war gives us a chance to think about the future with a positive perspective. And therefore, even with architecture, into the architecture field, think about uh, projecting our hopes. In moments of war, we have to focus ourselves only on the very present, just to stay alive. This is what a kind happened in the last couple of months. What do you think as an architect is this moment for the architectural perspective of the future? Well, you're right. It is a moment of turmoil. It's, it's, a, it's a moment of kind of a vortex of problems that have materialized around the world and in us and around us. But I think from the architecture point of view or from the philosophical point of view, from the traditional point of view, you have to have a greater perspective. Uh, you know, we talk about the instability in the world, but we underestimate the stability of the world. Look at the sun. Look at the moon, look at the sky, look at the earth. These are not uh, liable to the changes of headlines in the internet or the newspapers. We live in a pretty stable world. Of course, human events change, but let's take the longer perspective. The longer perspective tells us that humanity is faced at crossroads that test how humanity will respond. All religions, all philosophers, have talked about it. We know it from thousands of years of human experience, which tells us that we can not be vanquished if we act in a moral way, if we act in an ethical way, if we act in a solidarity with humanity around the world, not just for our own egos. So I think this is a moment that teaches us something profound that by taking that more global, more cosmic point of view, we see ourselves much more as a part of a whole than just, you know, particles of dust in space. I think that you have, as an architect, throughout your career, had to confront yourself many times to these subjects way before this COVID, because of the, even the type of projects that you did, Berlin, 
the Jewish uh, uh, Museum in uh, San Francisco that I visited, which is an amazing space. Even though a tiny one, even tackled there in a tiny street, uh, but it's meaningful. How much do you think that, and this is your job, this is your job to sit down and think about what you're doing and elaborating a concept around it. And it's not just merely putting together brick and mortars to build up something, <laughs> but to create a concept. This is what I'm concerned about. How much do you think that the rest of the world, which is not you, you as an architect, as a, as a person that by job has to think about, has to elaborate, what happened in the world, to then transfer that into a subject, which is architecture in the mm -hmm. case. How much do you think that the other people, the normal people, let's say, the average people in the world, would understand what is happening? Very profound question uh, that you have posed. I think, I think we live generally in these secular societies, but what is missing is that sense of spirituality because we are spiritual beings. We are not, it's not enough just to feed us and, and give us you know, bricks and mortar. We need more than that. We need to go beyond just our own limitations. So I think this moment reveals in our generalized global secular society, the longing for the sacred. And I will make it very simple. When you walk out of the pandemic into the outside, you say, oh my God, look at the sky. Look at the earth. It's not just a piece of chemistry and physics. It's something that goes beyond. And I think this desire to cross the threshold that, has, that is there always in our lives, because we do uh, have spiritual spaces. We do, no matter who we are, all over the world. That, I think, will grow with this experience. People will start saying, it's been repressed in our societies, that space of encounter, space where I can not just be myself, but I'm with other people, a space where I can see the solidarity of the human strength in, in, and reflect it to something beyond who we are ourselves. So yes, I, I think this will lead, in my view, to a, a positive change. I think people will, will abandon this uh, spiritual desert uh, a kind of, you know, uh, just the marketplace and exchange of, you know, money or whatever, and we'll say there is more to life than that. There's must there's meaning in life, and let's concentrate. Let's let's talk about it. Let's let's start building something that that is meaningful, not just uh, a facade. I agree. We had a conversation with with uh, even um, other people of uh, um, other industries uh, like manufacturers, and all of us we agree that. These only two months, three months of lockdown, they gave us, they gave to everybody the, 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 the feeling there, there are new values yes. to be created. Even for the companies, even if you are a, are a company and if you have to do marketing, you have to market your brand, now the values that you have to connect to your brands, they are different and they are yes. very more human related. Absolutely. I think people are realizing that, you know, humanity is a risk. How do you, you know, it's a risk. No, nobody has guaranteed it. 
and the worst risk. You know, we we are vulnerable, but but there is something other than that. And and I think we this could be a crossover. We, we where, where we move towards a different path away from the materialistic uh, sense of 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 well being <clears throat> towards healthier sense of ourselves uh, in relationship to others to build a society that has a greater solidarity that cares about people all over the world because if you don't care people about the other person you yourself uh, are diminished and i think this is something that i think is as you said not something abstract but companies uh, regular people on the streets feel this very concrete a very yeah. concrete yeah look i want to ask you a very straightforward question about architecture that always amused me as uh, looking at architectures, big buildings, and uh, when when do you know that a, a project, a design is complete, is finished? Okay, fine. Now it can go. It can goes to site. You know, for me, the project is finished when the huge question mark has descended on it. Not when everything has been solved and you know you put it back into drawer and everything is you know on a on a automated. Uh, control system. To me, a project is finished when the question that the project sought to grapple with is very clear in the project. So whether it's a museum, whether it's an affordable piece of housing, whether it's a city plan, that's when I realize, yeah, it, it now communicates. It can communicate something to other people. It's no longer just, you know, within sort of a, a limited space. It becomes communicable to other people. And of course, it has to be communicated in the language of architecture, which is not with words. It's with light, it's with, it's with materials, it's with, it's with acoustics, it's with a sense of, 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 of visceral experience, which is not just intellectual, but uh, I think it has to sort of, it, it, I, I would say it, the project is finished when it speaks to the heart. If I recall it right, you said once that the project is not the material that makes the project, but is the, the understanding of the experience that you have when you enter a project, when you enter a space. It's not that relevant, or let's say, it makes the experience even, the kind of flooring that you put it down, the kind of walls, the kind of light, but it's just the whole, it's just the whole of the project and just the whole of the experience that makes it Maybe this is the end point of it. When the whole works together, the lighting Absolutely. is perfect, when the material of the walls is perfect, when the flooring is perfect. It is, but it's not really about material perfection. You know, the materials can be, you know, you maybe don't have the money to have the best material. Maybe you're sure. using, you know, maybe there's, but it's, it's another kind of perfection. It's the perfection of the care that has been, put into the project, which is not just a careful uh, thing. Yes. Volume, volume uh, space, sense of light, sense of communication. It's really something that can touch another human being. And of course, uh, architecture is the most materialistic profession because the material is so heavy, as opposed, let's say, to music, where you don't even see the material, just the vibration in the air. But yeah. Architecture also has that aura when it's true. When you go to great ancient buildings, 
great traditions of architecture in all parts of the world. You're affected by the aura, even though you might not know much about the history of this place. You, you sense that there is a care yeah. and there is a sense that you are part of it. You, you're, you're being uh, addressed, you're being called. The stones are calling to you. I think that's when you realize that there is a meaning in architecture that isn't just in the physics. Uh, can I ask you a th uh, one thing about that? Through my experience, correct me if I'm wrong, in the Anglo-Saxon world, it's very typical to divide the disciplines of architecture and interior design. Yeah. So much that on a specific building, many times, the architects designs the building and then later on, without not even much connections with the architect, there is an interior design or interior yeah. decoration that goes into that. Uh, in Europe or in Italy, where I come from, that doesn't happen often. And for us, it's even kind of quite difficult to separate the two mm -hmm. things. How do you see that? How do you, how do you, how do you feel that? Do you think, I mean, it's, it's the right way of doing it? What is the relationship between the two things? The volume, the design? Well, what you're speaking about is the fact that architecture is a cultural discipline. You know, there's a lot of science in it, a lot of scientific uh, knowledge uh, necessary, but ultimately it's a piece of culture, just like a poem, piece of music, uh, a, a sense of tradition is transmitted in architecture as well. So it's inevitable that if you treat architecture as a cultural discipline, it, it doesn't have a, just an inside and an outside. It's, it's a continuum. And so if, if it has the outside, it's like the skin of a human being, but there is also flesh, there's the soul, there's the heart. You can't Bone. just, yes. So, so, you know, an architecture with, with, you know, with just skin would not really work. Just a human being with just skin. No, there's more to human being. There's, there's more beyond the visible uh inside so and i think that's true for architecture that's why we respond to architecture great italian architect great architecture around the world we understand that it has a depth that it's not just one dimensional two dimensional three dimensional it's uh, a multi-dimensional yes. uh, there is a personal question that i would like to ask you because i'm a i'm a musician and i know that as a hobby and i know yes. that you are you're a musician why music where you were on a path of kind of doing that as a profession. So why architecture versus music in a certain moment of your life? It's a great question. First of all, really, there is really no difference in my experience, you know, as, as a virtuoso, because music and architecture are almost the same. Look, a, a plan, a drawing, is just a bunch of black piece of graphical things on a piece of paper, just like a score of a, you know, Beethoven symphony. It's, now, if you don't have the code, if you don't have the key, they remain just dots on a piece of paper with lines, both in both disciplines. But if you have the key, you can open them up. You can see that they are not just what, you, what they seem to be. They can really be interactive. They can involve the performance of many, many people, hundreds of people in an orchestra or thousands of people yeah. you know, in a city plan, and that they bring people together because they communicate something, one through sound, but architecture through not just sound, also through space, through light, 
they could communicate something beyond the obvious, beyond the, 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 the prosaic, something spiritual, something cultural. So uh, really both the process of architecture and also the tradition, if you think about it, uh, in ancient times, people already discovered that there is a, a correlationship between the proportions of strings that are vibrating and proportions of architecture, of, of space, of geometry. And so the harmony of architecture and music is also uh, 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 the same. And most importantly, both music and architecture go directly to your heart, directly yeah. to your soul. They are not about just figuring things out in your brain. They affect you really instantly in a certain way. And I think that's why they are really a single field. And people yeah. have felt that there is architecture there. There is no need for you to be an architect or a musician to understand or to feel, yes. or to feel something from an, an environment or to get an emotion from a piece of music. That's right. You, you don't have to be uh, Mr. Liebeskind or uh, Mr. Steve Vai to understand no. a beautiful piece yes. of music, beautiful piece of architecture. And there is yes. a, this correlation, which is very interesting to me, there, the classical theaters built up in 17th century and 18th century, they were shaped exactly as the inside of a violin. Yeah, because that's right. The, re the resonance of the space was exactly the same of the resonance of the instrument. So there that's is right. actually a big correlation between, between music, uh, music and architecture. Very much so, and I think you said something very important because you use the word emotion, that architecture and music cannot work just for the mind. Uh, they have to touch you. If they don't touch you, they're just abstract exercises. And they might look yep. nice, or might, but if they don't touch you personally, they kind of evaporate. There is nothing there. So uh, that's a very key moment because what is in an emotion is also memory. And that memory that is possessed by people is part of their experience of, of, the, of the works of music and of architecture. It is. Otherwise, they won't be even any space for innovation. And I don't want to be disrespectful, but architecture is what you do or what, let's say, Zadid did, used to do at the very beginning, that was very even controversial. Even your architecture was very controversial at the beginning. I have in mind, again, the Jewish Museum in San Francisco, it was very controversial. Yes. Those, yes. Those, if yes. it was a matter of uh, um, scholastic understanding of what is architecture and what it should be, it would never have been perceived as otherwise the audience, no matter what, entering the building felt an emotion. And yes, it, and it worked. No matter it was right or wrong, the proportions, the meaning, the colors, the forms is exactly the same thing with music. That's right. And I think the buildings that we love, whether they are ancient or modern or, or still to come, are the buildings to kind of inspire us. There's something creative in them that, that is new, that is fresh that is yes. giving us adrenaline, that is giving us more sort of creative oxygen uh, to grow. 
And I think, of course, uh, I think almost every one of my projects, Azah and other was controversial. People said, are, are you crazy? This is impossible. This is not a building. But uh, I think once you make that break and people can experience it over time, suddenly yes. people realize that it's something really new and important for them. Yeah. Yeah. And he contributed even to set up another layer, another layer to the common culture. Yes. And be different. You can do. You can do things in a different way and they can be acceptable. They can be emotionally uh, involving. They can be interesting. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Uh, um, I know that you have uh, not just a good relationship with your wife, <laughs> but uh, even a business relationship with your wife. How, how did it happen? Because the common sense is that working with your wife, working with who you live with every 24 hours a day, it's impossible, it's a mistake. How did it happen? First of all, I have to say, we just celebrated our 51st wedding anniversary. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. I thank you, but I tell you why. Because we are real opposites. Even on the astronomical chart, on the zodiac chart, we are exactly opposite the day, the hour, the minute. So we are really opposites and, and opposites really do attract. And, you know, we are not, you know, just agreeing, you know, we, we have, it's a dynamic and, and look, you can say love, you know, without love, you would, you know, with, with just a business uh, partnership. Uh, and I know a lot of architects have business partners as, as their spouses. But I think what, what, what I enjoy is how lucky am I that we are, you know, we share values. We share uh, the sense of laughter. We share uh, what life is about. And I think that's really so lucky to have found a person like that and, and uh, for it not to have evaporated over time, but having gotten stronger and more passionate uh, as time goes on, it's it's really a miracle. That's all I can yeah. say. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure that you also um, created some like specific uh, boundaries, let's say, or roles in your professional life with your wife. Like I, I don't know. I guess you are the creative one, and she is uh, the one uh, more in charge of uh, business relationship, business development. I'm just guessing. I'm sure that there are there are. Of did it come naturally or you sat down on the table one day years back and he said, okay, you know what? I will take care of the creative part. You take care of the business side. Oh, no, no. I have to give you, if I have time, a little anecdote. When I first started working with Nina in Berlin, you know, I never had an office. It was yeah. just a tour. The museum for the museum in Berlin. Yeah. Yeah. So I was there you know, with my drawing board with a, with a pen and ink and she was there. And I put my drawing up of the project and I was looking at it and she looked at it and said, what is it? I said, well, it's a great drawing. Can't you see a beautiful plan? And she said, no, I don't see it. What, what, what are you talking about? And you know, she's not an architect. And I suddenly realized that I've been just talking to people who were just other architects. I never talked to somebody who was not an architect. And she really asked me questions. For the first time in my life, I was saying to myself, oh my God, 
what I think is right is not at all apparent to somebody who is a normal person who is asking, why is this nice? Why, why do you think this is good? Why do you think this is good to build? And then I learned very quickly that I have a great partner because she's not an architect. She's approaching it from a totally different point of view. Uh, and, and that really taught me a lot about the fact that architecture is not just a private thing. And of course, she has abilities, uh, many abilities which I don't have. So I was so lucky to have somebody who knows uh, many things. You know, she has many experiences, many professional characteristics that I don't have. And so it's a very good collaboration yeah. where I have to do certain things which I don't know what to do with. <laughs> We were saying before, no, that the architecture is not just a scholar thing. It has to be enjoyed by people who are not architects and they don't understand anything about architecture. Therefore, listening to their voices is absolutely relevant. Absolutely. And that's, that really gives you that dimension. Wow, I'm not doing this for other architects. I'm doing exactly. this for learners, for New Yorkers, exactly. for people from, you know, the city, communities. Exactly. Yes. We uh, always like to end up our conversation with one question. What would be the advice that you would like to give to the, not the new, but the young yourself, Mr. Daniel Libeskin, if you would meet yourself today? Wow, that's a great question. My advice would be really the same that I really followed, which is, don't believe everything you've been told. Find out for yourself. Take a risk. Believe in something bigger than yourself. Believe something that is not just on the common highway of knowledge, but take a path that might be more vulnerable, a path which might even make you fail. But take that path because on that path, you'll discover something that is an adventure that you really could have never predicted when you started on the path. And that's true. Uh, for that and for now, I really do take the risks every day uh, when I work as a creative architect. And, uh, you know, I, and I can t tell you concretely, I entered a few competitions for affordable housing in New York Public Housing Agency. This is the lowest per, per, per square foot cost it and it's very hard laws. What do you do for New York City Housing Authority, public, you know, those buildings in, in Brooklyn, Bedford-Stuyvesant for the elderly or in Long Island? And I won those competitions with a new idea that, yes, that's a challenge. I've never done it before. Let's do something amazing, always by the same idea. Start with a human being. Start with the dignity of the human heart and try to do it. And of course, that really expands your creative horizons. And uh, yeah, my, that's really kind of what I would say to a younger self. And if I may, find yourself an amazing partner, partner as Nina. Well, you have to be very lucky. You know, you can't <laughs> buy this partnership. You can't buy Thor. Uh, you have to, you know, look, we underestimate luck or fate or destiny or the gods, or God, or the divine. Call it As by any name you want. Yeah. We, we need it. We, we need to encounter it. And we need to struggle to do it. And uh, sometimes it's hard. Uh, and, and you never know when it will happen to you. 
because the spirit blows where it wants to. Not, yeah. It's not in your control. And that's the and beauty then, of life. <laughs> and then you have to make it work. That's right. Which takes a lot of discipline, a lot yeah. of hard work, a lot of sweat. It doesn't just happen by hope. Exactly. <laughs> so thank you very much, Daniel, for uh, being with us. Thank you very much. It was a very interesting conversation, very inspiring uh, and very cheerful. And I hope to see you soon, maybe since we both love Middle East. Uh, we are in Dubai and I hope we hope to see you soon, uh, maybe here for a dinner Thank and a chapter. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure speaking with you. You're such a smart person. I would love to give you a hug and say hello. And I think this will happen in Dubai or New York or in Berlin or wherever we are in the world. Indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you. All the best. Bye-bye.